0: When you're driving in a car and there's someone pulled over on the side of the road, there are those individuals who stop because they're like, oh my goodness, has something happened? And then there are those individuals who just drive by and actually never noticed. So I want to be the individual who who may not always stop, but who thinks, oh my gosh, I hope they're okay. And at least let me call 911 or a tow truck or something so that I can help them.
1: Welcome everyone to uh, WorkPod, Work2.0 show. Today, we have with us Courtney Abraham. She is a Chief People Officer at GE Current, uh, which is a Daintree company. And um, we are super excited to have her on the show and talk about how, uh, as a HR leader, she's um, cruising the world of um, uh, people development and creating the future of work for, for in GE Current and, and around us. With that, uh, uh, Courtney, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. I am pleased to be here. appreciate the invitation.
1: Thank you so much. So love to know your journey. Love to know what brought you to this wonderful world of leading a a people-centric organization and um, creating this future of work uh, within your ecosystem. So love to know your, your background and your journey.
0: Well, thank you for the question. I think it's, gosh, I am... Um, what one would call an experience junkie and what i mean by that is i have a ton of applied experience and a lot of my career opportunities have come from the fact that i will raise my hand and say yes Uh, i may not have the experience the exposure um, i'm happy to learn the knowledge but i have that can-do attitude and that risk-taking that has allowed me to meander my way through consulting organizations and high tech and manufacturers and insurance. Um, and I actually got my start in retail. Um, I will credit much of my career success um, going back in time, right, from a really great upbringing where my parents had like seven jobs, right? They were those people. Entrepreneurs and youth group advisors with church and both had full-time careers, And as kids, my sister and I, we were expected to help in the family business. And so that is exactly what we did. And that work ethic, I think, was just instilled in me from the very beginning of time that it was expected that we work hard, that we do so joyfully. Right. And that we not complain and we we show up and do it to the best of our ability because we're serving somebody on the other side. And I actually credit those year, that, those early years um, with really the success that I've um, been able to attain through the course of my career.
1: That's that's fascinating. So, um, and, and 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 walk to us um, your journey from um, to the to becoming the leader. Um, so walk us through how has that journey been uh, for you, and what are some of the Um, some of the highlight points, some of the success and failures you have have encountered along the way in your leadership journey?
0: Yes, that's uh, goodness, right? What a story. How much time do we have? (laughs) I think, you know, early on in my career, I was always watching the people around me, what made them successful, what they did and what they didn't do, how they interacted with people. And I took lessons from that. And so I constantly looked at, well, who did I want to be and what behaviors did they exhibit that I thought a ton of that I wanted to, you know, demonstrate myself? And what would I call their mistakes, right? They may not have been mistakes to them, but I observed they were mistakes. And so it went on my never do this list. And as I grew in, you know, starting as, you know, an analyst or an associate, a frontline employee, really, um, raising your hand again, just saying, how can I help? How can I learn that? Uh, and learning actually early in my career, what I was good at, um, what I wasn't good at, and then what I didn't like, but I was good at. Right. And a lot of people don't necessarily distinguish that. And I think that's important because you may be really good at something that you hate, but it's a core strength. You just don't find enjoyment in it. And so I was able to um, really meander myself into the things that I enjoyed more and gave me passion. And so that allowed me to exercise that passion, which then became strengths, right? So I was strengthening and kind of um, with a nail file, making things a round corner as opposed to a square edge. And I will say, you know, the leaders that I was exposed to early on. Um, Some of them were absolutely fantastic. And so they took me under their wing and to grow from, you know, an individual contributor to my first supervisory position where it really is about blocking and tackling and getting work done. And then when you move into a manager position, it's more about talent development and making sure that other people are getting their work done. And it's not about you as an individual contributor exercising those technical strengths. It's about you teaching and coaching so that others can demonstrate those technical strengths. And so as I came through my career, um, I think one of the most paramount or important experiences I had was actually as a consultant. And it was... um, uh, gosh, uh, I think it was about a six-year run where I was engaging with all different teams and we were customer relationship management, right? So it was the days of Siebel when Siebel first came into the marketplace, and it was about how do we quickly learn business processes? How do we train employees to literally take what they were writing on a piece of paper and put it into a software application and the benefits of what that would do for them? So helping them manage chain, the change and to literally work backwards from the executive team to say, well, what is it that we're trying to create and what is our executive vision? How does that translate into what people do? then how they do it and by the way what's in it for them right carry it or stick let's be really clear with what it is that we expect and what does success look like and so different consulting opportunities allowed me to make mistakes um, and learn from those mistakes but also have great successes and then to take those successes to say okay so how do we replicate that how do we do more of that uh, and i went from that consulting experience finally getting off the road right Uh, in the life of a consultant, always on an airplane and you have no social life and probably no life at all. Um, But getting off the road, meeting my husband and realizing I love the world of change management and the world of taking individuals and, and planting seeds and coaching and developing so that it is no longer my idea, but it's your idea. And really allowing that to crystallize and then like a tidal wave, moving people through but catching on their coat sleeves as opposed to me dragging them, um, it's, it's a huge rush when it becomes their idea and you then become the follower. So those change management experiences literally dovetailed into the world of HR. So I never grew up thinking I was going to be an HR professional. Um, I've had some unsexy careers in insurance and grocery but I never thought HR either. And and it's probably unsexy too, right? Um, but I love what I do because I get to work with people on a daily basis. And so when I made that hard right turn you know, into the non-revenue producing side of the business, really scary for me. Uh, but I thought, okay, so how of all the experiences that I've had through the course of my career, how do I take hold of them? How do I make sure that I don't forget what it's like to be on the other side. And most importantly, how do I treat everybody with respect and dignity? And as I meandered my way through literally almost every specialty within HR, some I really disliked um, and some I liked more than others, it allowed me to take greater leadership opportunities and to eventually arrive where I am today. And I will tell you, being a chief people officer, head of HR, it's a hard job because you're dealing with people's lives right every single day and the challenges that we face in a world of work um, or a world where work doesn't exist for some and so there's no rule book and guidebook that we can refer to on a regular basis i think everyone has their their we, we call it rolodex right you call your linkedin buddies and you're like hi this is what's come up for me today and i have no experience in it or You know, here's where I think I'm going, what do you think? And so to rely on others within your network um, is actually a really good safety ground so that you're not making decisions by yourself. And if you can build an executive team where you are great with collaboration and communication and you have really wide open dialogue, it allows the team to take decisions together and then to kind of lock arms and to say, okay, so here's our approach and here's what we're going to do. Um, but i truly i wake up every day and i'm super thankful to be able to do what i do uh
1: thank you thank you for walking us through that so one thing that that stood out um, uh, i think uh, as as you were discussing uh, describing your journey to to this leadership was the role of you you said that people who took you under, under their wing like people who who become your mentor and and we have found um in our conversation with many interesting leaders that they attribute their whether you call it expedited journey or whether you call it a normal journey through through fast pace pace of time, attributed to some of those leaders, right? So, I, I'm curious to learn um, what has been your recipe in finding those those um, mentors and those guides along the way. To because there there are many um, many wannabe leaders who could be watching this this show or listening to it, who are struggling to find. Find those individuals who can help them, and and obviously, uh, not not to mention that um, the minority aspect, right? The, the 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 woman aspect, right? So so from those those perspective, I'm curious. I think those are um, your experiences paramount. Uh, if you can walk us through, what are some of some of those recipes? Uh, some of those leaders, and how what would what, what had you done to to get to those leaderships?
0: Sure, it's a great question. And I'll age myself a little bit here, right? So I'm in my late 40s. And so when I started in my career, um, I was surrounded by men, right? So all of the leaders that I worked with were men. And people in management positions, there were a very, very few females. And so those um, individuals that I was observing and watching the behaviors um, Some of them had really hard edges, right? So there was not um, necessarily a demonstration of empathy or a demonstration of kindness um, in all of them. Some of them, absolutely. So no stereotyping, but it was just a different environment, right? And through different careers and industries to grow up in. I think what I found was leaders who actually surrounded themselves with talent and gave credit where credit was due. I recognized that really quickly, where it wasn't about the leader's success, it was the leader actually saying, no, 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 you guys come with me and you talk about the work that you're doing. Yes, you know, I help you strategize and I help you think through, but it's your work, so you should have the opportunity to showcase and to share and to answer questions, right? rather than the leader actually doing that, um, which is typical in a lot of places. And so I, um, in my telecom days, I worked for a fantastic um, male leader who did exactly that. And he recognized when people's work ethic and their passion um, was... Um, demonstrable. And so he tapped them for special projects. And so I would constantly be near. And so I would raise my hand and he would tap me for special projects. And I was able to travel and expose myself to indirect and direct sales, um, to different types of retailers and to situations that I really had not had exposure to. And so he would offer coaching and mentoring. And he would say, well, sit down and walk me through your proposal or talk to me about um, how you're going to pitch this. And in those days, the word role play, actually, we never said role play, but that's exactly what we were doing. We were practicing and he was helping me hone my craft. Uh, And, you know, it's years later that I recognized those early experiences. And I'm so thankful. His name was Bill. I'm so thankful to Bill to be able to do that for me and with me. And then through the course of different um, opportunities, I did find some female leaders and some female mentors, and I watched them from afar. And again, in a, in a working world where the executive team was mostly men, their behaviors were a little bit different. They were a little bit more, you know, everyone always talks about the difference between being aggressive and assertive. And um, some women who are on the, on the edge of assertive, can be called aggressive. But when you look at the same behavior in a male, you think, oh no, he's just being a man. And you're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. double standard, right? And so I would watch these women and I would say to myself, okay, so how do I make sure that when I have an opinion and I have a voice, that I support it with data and facts, that I am professional in my demeanor, that I create my allies and I align early before I ever walk into a room. And so just, um, through a lot of observation, right? I'm a a study of human character. It's allowed me to take on some of the best behaviors and to avoid some that could otherwise get me in trouble. And I will say for those of um, individuals who are out there, um, find leaders who love to surround themselves with good talent. So I constantly hire people who are better than me. Why? Because I love to learn and I cannot possibly be good at everything. And actually, I'm bad at a bunch of things. And so I need to surround myself with people who take joy in what they do, who are outstanding at their craft. And I am super happy to literally push them, push them, push them to the front. And then actually, it makes my job much easier because I can say, you've got it. You've got it. Let's talk through it. Let me help prepare you But absolutely, you're going to grow up and have a fantastic career. So as leaders, we need to create space. We need to create safety nets so that individuals can prosper, but also fail fail fast, um, but also that we can catch them and say, it's actually not that bad. It may have been super embarrassing or, you know, you might have gotten feedback that was a little constructive or crisp, but let's talk about what you learned from it because you'll never make the mistake again.
1: So I think it's...
0: um, a little bit of observation, and there's probably luck thrown
1: in there too, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, uh, thank you for walking us through that. So now, um, I think the, uh, the other thing that stood out was uh, that you said that you are now on the other side of the table, right? So you have been to the journey of being a worker to being a leader, and you have um, now you are as, as a people's leader, you are actually. Um, have slightly more influence when it comes to developing or creating the processes that developers that that developers those, those leaders. I'm curious, like, what have you? What are some of the some of the best practices have you picked from your own journey that is helping you uh, becoming a better people leader or, or for an organization?
0: Oh goodness, uh, I think every. So one of the things that um, I constantly am coaching others on is when they have a complaint or an idea or a challenge that it has to be backed up by facts, right? So where's the data? Um, It can't just be a gut feeling. It's got to be supported by some evidence of something. And so I think, you know, and maybe it was probably prior to my consulting career, but it was... When you present anything, it has to be fact based, right? And you know what you do for a living, so absolutely. And so it's thinking about so if you're trying to craft, craft a story, what is the data to support that story? And we all know we can run any sort of data statistics to prove our story out, but it's being really crisp to say, you know, if you are trying to gain funding for a particular project, Um, What is it going to do? What's the history? Why has there been no funding? What's the return on that investment? How many resources will we need to hire? What is it going to cost? But ultimately, what's the gain for the organization? And so- putting all of the pieces in place to really support that from a data perspective, I think is the most important um, that I've learned is that you have to have data to support any sort of initiative, challenge, anything that you use within your career to help you be more
1: successful. And, and, and being, being a people leader, being a chief people officer, I'm curious, like, what is um, from your perspective? What are the anatomy of a good people's leader? Like, from from what you are seeing, uh, what is your thought on if you are a leader? Like, you need to show these kind of traits to be a better leader to build this organization, which are which is people centric and 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 basically creates future leaders.
0: So I will tell you a secret, and now it won't be a secret because everyone listening will know. Um, there is this, I think. I don't know. It's a stereotype, I think, of HR professionals that we're people, people. And what I mean by that is that we're this hugely caring, endearing, empathetic group of individuals. And what I would say is not always. Right. And so I have met so many different um, leaders, whether they're in the HR space or just leaders in general. And there's really no stereotype that we exhibit. Um, what I have found is it is super important how we treat people, right? So dignity and respect, paramount. Kindness goes a long way. And one of the things that I coach others is is the delivery of their message, right? You The tone of voice, the words you use, the situation you choose to have the conversation in, it is so important. You know, you praise in public, and you give constructive feedback in private. Um, You allow that person to experience your words, um, but it is in a way that allows them to learn from it and then stand up and do something differently. And to to give constructive feedback in public, that's like, oh, please don't ever do that. That's happened to me early in my career, and I thought, well, why would that leader? embarrass me in front of my peers because now I actually think horribly of that leader and they've lost my trust. And so thinking, how do I make sure I never do that? And how do I actually help somebody to be better? Right? So it might be a minor mistake, um, but how do I give them feedback in the moment um, so that they can improve? And so I think the, um, the so what is really important right? Um, I'm giving you this feedback. So what, right? Because I don't want you to make the mistake again, because you're super smart, because um, someone is going to ask you three additional questions and I want you to be prepared with the answers. And I, I, I hope my team would say this of me, but it's about being kind. At the end of the day, when I come home, I wanna be able to look myself in the mirror and like what I see and reflect on my day as we all dream about what we did during the day. I don't want it to turn into a nightmare. I want it to be like, okay, well, you know what? I did the best that I could under the circumstances. I treated everybody as best as the situation demanded and they they walked away feeling like a good human being and not belittled
1: by any means.
0: So I think that's a lot of words to say kindness.
1: It's really important. Mm. Interesting. So, um, I think um, over our conversation with a lot of HR leaders, I think one thing that really stood out um, as we are coming out of pandemic uh, that that um, primarily uh, one thing that the leaders have observed over the last couple of years was uh, HR leaders uh, they had a lot of struggle finding a seat on the table of, of leadership, making decisions, and all that. And I think um, and over the last year. Um, Pretty much, they are the only one who have some answers on what, how to handle work, what's what's happening, and they have slightly more more perspective, and and um, basically, how they were now given the seat to have those conversations to 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 basically generate that influence that they have been trying to push forever from the from the cultural context. So. I'm curious, what has been your journey um, as, as, as a people leader through, through, through this uh, pandemic time?
0: Uh, it's been scary, right? The <laughs> pandemic has presented us with so many factors that we were ill-prepared for, that we never considered. Um, you know, everyone had always talked about w- the world of working in an office and being remote. And there was the, okay, well, we're going to have a telecommute policy. And do we give people equipment and do we fund it? And how often do we want people to be in town? But the world became boundaryless, and all of a sudden during the pandemic, regardless of where you lived, you actually, if you could maintain the time zone and the workload, you could hire employees anywhere in the globe. And it was a fascinating transition. And so very quickly, the scariness is, okay. well, if you're hiring someone in a state like California or Massachusetts or New York, you better make sure that you understand employment law. If all of a sudden somebody picks up and moves to Wyoming, you have to understand payroll taxes. And what does that actually mean? If you're hiring an employee in the European Union or Asia or you know Australia, it is really important that you understand, okay, so agreements overseas are not like a US employment offer letter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we are at will in the States. You're not at will employment in many countries around the world. And so the knowledge and the technical aptitude of HR leaders went from being important to being um, essential, right? So you can no longer have an HR um, head of HR who doesn't have that technical knowledge because it is a boundaryless world. And so as an HR leader, it was quickly like, okay, so. How do I surround myself with employment attorneys? How do I expand my network? What research site do I need to go to to make sure that I get the law digest on a regular basis? Or who do I hire so that they can be responsible for very specific things? So I think the technical knowledge is probably the first piece. The human element, arguably more important, um, but a different experience, right? So all of a sudden, you know, we had HR business partners who were coaching people in the past of dealing with work and dealing with personal lives. Mm. All of a sudden, it was a true commingle, right? So at any moment, the dog can, can come in, my, my kids can come in, my husband can walk by shirtless. Like all of a sudden, it's, oh, here's her personal life. And it's up up front and center for everyone to experience and see and we had to make that okay, right? And, it, and the joke of, hey, you're on mute, that's just part of the world now. And as you and I chatted, I said, I'm sorry, but my dog will probably bark during this, but that's normal. Yeah. Um, that's normal. So these new set of parameters have just become the norm in the last two years. And we've had to, to coach leaders to say, hi, you can no longer be a dinosaur who requires people to come physically into the office. And it's okay if you don't see them, their physical presence, because now it's about their work output. And so if you don't understand what it is that they're doing, that's actually your fault as a leader, right? So how do you get closer to the work? How do you measure the output? How do you engage in a remote setting so that the the virtualness is just as good as being present and being able to reach across and like touch someone, right? Um, So I think those behaviors and those coaching mechanisms became really important. And arguably, not a lot of HR leaders left um, their positions. So there was this hold um, on chief HR positions where, Boards and employment organizations may have been unhappy with their HR officers, but because of the pandemic, no one was looking to make any changes, right? And so I would say within the last six to eight months, the world of HR roles has become hot because now we're moving into, well, guess what? This is our future. And maybe it's a hybrid where people are coming back into the office, but we're seeing many more HR leaders actually shift and change And HR leaders raising their hand and saying, oh, my gosh, I'm burnt out and I don't want to do this anymore. Right. It's exhausting. We have planned go go back to the office, go back home, Um, policies, procedures, costs, funerals, um, celebrations of life, uh, the the world of benefits and negotiating health and welfare on behalf of your team. If you live in the States or in Canada. it's just become so much more important, and you know, I credit the HR professionals that are out there because it's been really tough these last few years. Um, many of my team members, um, through the course of time, and those I don't even work with anymore, you know, the conversation and the catching up over a glass of wine. There's always a story of um, a tragedy, right? Where um, someone, you know, went into the hospital for, for non-COVID-related things, right, and passed away. But now it's a lot of it's COVID-related and young people and kids who are getting sick or simply parents who are scared of sending their kids back to school. Um, it has really challenged, I think, all of us as professionals. And personally, early in the pandemic, we came home and my daughter came home. And at that point in time, she was fifth grade. And remember that show, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? I think I failed. <laughs> I was like, okay, most, let, me, let, me, let me think about this math and how am I going to do this? And wait a minute, how are they teaching you how to do this now? And so every day my daughter would, would like get off of her um, remote learning and I would say, okay, so now teach me this teach me the math that your, your teacher just taught you. And I thought, okay, A, I'm going to be smarter, but B, this will also help me appreciate is she actually learning through a remote setting? Uh, so I just credit all the new skills and behaviors that, that all of us have experienced, whether you're a parent or not. Um, the pandemic has been really challenging.
1: Interesting. I think, um, um, thank you for shedding light on, and giving you a perspective. So, um, we as a technologist, so I think we, when we talk to the, uh, if we talk about the balance between the technology and humans. So when we talk to some of the people leader or at least the leader or, or non technical leader. Mm-hmm. So I think their observation is they're fascinated with the, with the technology that's available, that is helping them do their job properly. Right. If we look at the technologist, right. Uh, and, and, and they want to sell the technology. Now they're saying, oh, whoa, whoa, too much, right? So it's getting, now it's in your bedroom. And I rightly pointed out that someone, your personal life is now pretty exposed in many, many of the aspects. We have been working really, really hard in guarding our personal life from the professional one. But this one and a half year has been sort of uh, pretty interesting when it comes to how these two worlds are coming together. So um, as a people leader, like what is what is your take on the, the balance of Of how much is too much, and and how do you how do you maintain that? like how what what would be what would be your some of your guiding principles or or is there anything like that?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. and I think I think boundaries for each person might be a little different. Um, I applaud Portugal, right? Their law is about to come out where you cannot um contact someone after hours and send email or phone mm-hmm. calls. Mm-hmm. And so they're about to protect their um, workers substantially. We'll probably have a lesson in there um, about how that goes and what that experience is. You know, so my CEO right now is traveling overseas and he's in India with his family. And so the time change is, what, 13-ish hours. And I recognize that there will be moments when I need him and he may need me. And so you just make it work, right? You do the time change in your head and you think it's either going to be really late my time or vice versa um, for one of us. But you make those accommodations because you need to. And I think that example um, of blurring the the lines, right, of whether you work 7 to 3.30 or 8 to 5 or whatever your hours are, I think through the last couple of years, many more managers have become progressive. And what I mean by that is get your work done. I don't necessarily care when you get your work done, right? So if you are a call center and you are responsible for answering telephone calls, it is different because there's a clock. If you are on a manufacturing floor, again, it's different because you have to show up and be there in person. But for the professionals who are sitting behind computers, you know, whether they choose to work at 2 a.m., because that's when they've got energy and excitement, I think a lot of those um, just maybe old-fashioned thoughts from managers, um, have gone away. And so today we've, we've, you know, I know everything about myself and my blood pressure and my heart rate and everything, because I turn, I roll over and it tells me even, you know, did I sleep well or not? Um, but the barrage of ability to connect with people, and um, you know, when, so GE Current, a daintry company is absolutely fabulous about, allowing our employees to have tools to connect, right? So we've got typical email and cell phones and text messages and then we have Teams, and we have all sort of sorts of collaboration tools that exist within Teams and SharePoint to allow us to blog and iterate and use documents simultaneously and see people's screens. And so those tools actually I think allow us to be more productive than in days past. And um It's very rare for someone to even email a document now. Like, why would you do that, right? Just set set it on a server, allow people the right access and and iterate on the document there. Uh, And the same idea with chatbots and Mm -hmm. um, other pieces that come up. You know, one of the things we leverage is um, for payroll and self-service for HR, right, HR self-service. Yes, there's a mobile desk app or there's a desk app um, that people can log into, but everything's at your fingertips, right? On your telephone. And so if you just download the app, you have the ability to do what you need to when it is convenient for you. What I will say with all of that, right, as the backdrop, your family and your personal life and your mental well being is so important because if you're not fulfilled, happy, engaged, healthy, you bring that into your world of work. And so having that boundary and the ability to shut off right before you come into work or shut work off so you can be with your family or just socialize with your friends is really important. And I find it really freeing when I lose my phone, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like I can't be bothered. Oh, shoot. I left my phone in the car. And it's like, oh, you know, you do that. And you're like, That was actually fabulous because I was able to be present and communicate right with those in front of me or just via my computer. I think it's really important that people shut shut off. Right. And yes, you have to delegate and you have to make sure that the work still gets done. But I'm about to go on holiday with my family. And I've already said to my team, if there's an emergency, call me. But you guys know what you're doing. Right. You don't need me. You might want to check in with me but take the decision what you know it's gonna be okay i will come back and we need to respect other people's holidays right when they go away don't call them don't email them that doesn't respect their personal time they've earned their personal time and they need to recharge and it's it's just so important
1: i think this fair point so we we have this um this practical joke in, in in our home so i used to be on phone and we have bigger screens, so we can be a lot more on the phone. Mm-hmm. So my wife, uh, she was so paranoid. She said, "Vishal, you know what? Uh, I have a, I found a solution." So she gave me like a, a a very small, a tiny phone. It's like I think it's five. It's it's some old, some very small yeah. phone. She said that's going to be your thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it is, everything is good, whatever. So it's a small phone. So I can like obviously I have to twitch and I have to do things to do stuff. And very soon I, I I stopped looking at the phone. Yeah. I, I I pretty much I love when it's lost, I love sometimes it's it's just, it's sitting in my car many times. I said just just ping me on my on my laptop or whatever. Right. So suddenly I started giving even my, my worker saying, Hey, if you go on a small phone, the company will, will find this. Because I know your life you, you can live a lot happier, a detached true story. So I think I, I totally I totally hear you when you say that um, how much we are intertwined with this. Yes. So um, fascinating. So now uh, let's talk about the, the learning and development piece of, of, of the workforce. So obviously, um, when we were in the cubicles talking to each other, there's a lot of learning and development. There's a lot of uh, serendipity happening. There's a lot of conversation that, uh, what call cooler conversation happening. Now we are all in our cubicle, uh, in our home cubicles, looking at our webcams all the, all the time. And um I think one thing that, that, as a technologist, we are seeing uh, pretty overwhelming um, around what's happening is, like, they, they are platform which offers a lot of content, right? Mm-hmm. So there's they have, a, mm-hmm. like, amazing army of content that people can chew. So many businesses quickly jumped on saying, hey, just throw all the content at people, and hopefully they'll stick to it, right? But then our time is linear, right? Mm-hmm. And then what this last one year showed us uh, was that tech things are changing rapidly and we need to evolve. We need to be trained and, and re, retrained and relearned with this new reality. So when you as a, as a look about your organization, like what are some, what are some of your learning and development challenges that you are seeing with this new reality? And, and how, are, how are you planning to cope up or you are doing something to cope up with this?
0: Yes. Oh, so goodness. So learning and development is so important. I think learning agility is a competency, probably, mm-hmm. especially today, just mm-hmm. critical. <laughs> you know, the libraries, you have to be self-motivated, right? So if you're going to want to learn about something, regardless of if it's a technical skill or just a behavioral competency, you have to be self-motivated to go seek out that content, even if it's served up to you, right? And then disciplined, sit down, watch the course and then do something with your learning. And what I would say, and now all of our learning providers out there will hate me for saying this, if we don't do anything with the content, it's like sitting down to watch the television and and we can't get that 45 minutes or that three hours back, right? It's wasted time. So what we have actually done, and goodness, I want to say it's about six months ago, we launched our first virtual people leader series. And so yes, we have LinkedIn learning. And so we took new managers and gave them eight courses and existing leaders, whether you had, you know, 90 days of people leadership experience, or 25 years. And we created cross-functional cohorts. And it is asynchronous learning. So you participate in that module that we assigned to you, and you have three weeks to watch it. You then join a discussion group, which is what led by one of our senior leaders. Um, so you have a cohort that you're going through with. And you discuss the content with your cohort group and that senior leader. And then you have a small group, like three or four people, to have some sort of dialogue with. And we haven't dictated, but we wanted it to be like a, a tight-knit group. You could say, okay, so I'm going to go practice this skill. Or, oh, my gosh, this is what happened to me yesterday, and I blew it. Right? But just some safe, safe small group um, that, again, is virtual in nature. And um, then lastly, we ask you to continue to apply the skill. And so over the course of oh goodness I think it's going to be it will end up being about 8 months and folks are maybe 3 months in right now every month we launch a new cohort and the idea is we need to be continuously learning and so far you know we've had 3 months of these experiences it's been really positive because it's about okay so I'm going to I'm going to be disciplined and I'm going to watch this course but I'm on the hook because I know I have to talk to you and seven of my other, you know, or 17 of my other colleagues about it. And then a week later, I'm going to be invited to a small group. And so I have to have a story of what I've done with it, or maybe not because I haven't engaged with anyone to exercise the skill. And then I know somebody's going to follow up with me to say, Hey, what are you doing differently? Or, or are you not doing anything differently? So there's accountability worked into it. And we've had, really good um, sponsorship of the program, but also participation. We do not record any of the sessions. Um, We tell them that it is their responsibility, right, to stay with their cohort. And if you miss a session, phone a friend, right? Again, Mm. allowing the relationship to continue. In January, we are launching the same concept, but specifically to change management. And so we will do blended programs um, for managers and then for individual contributors. And we have a six, I think it's a six module change management series. We will run it the exact same way, but with the next level down of leaders. And so they will end up being um, the voices that guide these conversations. I think in today's day and age, learning can't stop. We have to continue. So we have to embrace the technology and we have to figure out when you can't have the experiential piece, right? We can't send people necessarily to the outdoor adventure or gather them together for an exercise. How do we allow that construct to continue? And I'm a huge fan of experiential learning, Um, huge. Uh, When I was with the ADECO group, they actually were big spearheaded um, of going to amazing universities and, I literally remember going to Switzerland and we were in the mountains and there were cows with bells and we had these experiences, but I learned about myself and my personal leadership style. And I learned about what I was confident and comfortable saying and doing in a multicultural cultural environment and what I wasn't. And so I miss the experiential, like I can't wait for, I'm hoping one day we can get back to it and do that. But in the absence of that, We have to be much more creative and it can't just be screens, right? So we've started testing and toying with, here's an instruction sheet. We want you to go do this in your personal life. And something as simple as from a change perspective, go home a different way. So whether you're walking, you're riding your bike, or you're driving your car, we want you to specifically drive home a different way. And the next time we get together, talk to us about what that helped. What did you feel? How did that work? What experience did you have? What was the exposure? But we have to figure out silly things like that that allow people to learn, right? And to learn in this day and age.
1: I think so. You are the second person who 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 gave me this 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 concept of uh, take a different path. So I I, I think um, I, I remember going to um, I think Minneapolis, and I I was I was driving with this guy, and 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 he said that his his modus operandi with his kids is. Every time when he comes back to the house, he has to just let go of his GPS and just take the weird road. Love and it. I said, but that's it's and, I, and and I was like I was amazed and he said, and then my kids get so paranoid because they were now they have to look around where if if they don't help out the dad is going to go missing or whatever. So they used to have so much fun, and it's a fascinating idea. I think once you said that, it reminded me of that that experience. It's 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 you're spot on. Yes.
0: Right There's something about getting lost purposefully,
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well said so um from from your vantage point, um where do you see the future of work happening for the organization? like what do you so when you're designing this organization, and obviously having come through the pandemic now looking at the future, what what do you see would be your modus operandi when it comes to designing an organization that that, that sort of is prepared for the future?
0: I think it's a hybrid world, right? The the ability to find outstanding talent anywhere they reside is critical, and it should be like foundation number one. (laughs) Um, So we're hybrid. We hire from anywhere. um, And the behaviors are different, right? So we're hiring for technical uh, competencies still. But the ability to communicate verbally and in written form, the ability to exercise emotional intelligence and focus on that competence, um, learning agility and core values, I think becomes more important from a hiring perspective and a promotion perspective, um, because it's, it's just critical in how we treat people. When you think about you know, will supply chain challenges still be here 12 months from now? Probably, right? So we have to think differently and we have to innovate. We have to get away from, well, we've always done it this way um, to how can and should we do it differently? And a constant redesign of processes. I think every time someone leaves, it's an opportunity to redesign the work, right? So I say to my managers constantly, you cannot post a wreck unless you've looked at the workflow and the process to say, should it be done the same way, right? Because if you're constantly iterating and getting better and redesigning, you're not replacing the same job. You're allowing people to experience different career um, experiences and learning opportunities. And then perhaps domino effect, you're allowing people to be promoted so that you're replacing somebody on the beginning of um, the ladder that's just joining from an entry level perspective and and continuing to iterate. Um, I think the world of career ladders long gone, right, especially mm-hmm. in this virtual world. So mm-hmm. from a workforce perspective, we have to do so much better at um Challenging ourselves to build rock walls, right? So a rock wall, there's so many ways to the top. You just don't go vertically. It's the same idea in getting to a leadership position. Um, If that's what you want to do, right? So you can move laterally and continue to gain compensation. Um, and perhaps it comes from a variable bonus perspective as opposed to base compensation. Maybe it comes from flexibility in their offering sabbaticals and just different benefits that are important to you. I think we have to really deconstruct what the premise of benefits and expectations from a career perspective looked like previously. You know, I have um, stepsons that are. Um, Oh, goodness. I guess they're millennials. Right. And I was thinking, how old are they? Um, But both of them have had multiple jobs already and they're 30. Uh, And so the idea is when I look at them and they, you know, about every two years, maybe two and a half years, they're going to a new organization. And it's not because the company that they've left is bad. They're bored. They want a different challenge. They want to focus on different things. And sometimes they don't even move for substantially more money. Um, Mm. They do definitely this consistent factor I have found generation generation across all generations is people continue to leave bad managers. Right. So that's the consistent piece. But I think there's so much opportunity to do it differently and to learn from, you know, existing generations in the workforce and new generations that are coming up. So my my smallest is 11. So she's 6th grade. And when I think about, you know, today I can drive down the street and Dunkin Donuts is hiring at $13 an hour and Amazon's hiring at $16 an hour. So my gosh, her first entry level opportunity, even if it slides back just slightly, she's going to make probably $15 an hour as a 15-year-old, right, a few years mm-hmm. from now. Her expectation will be different of what she wants to do, is surrounded by what she hates or what she finds joy in. And so we have to constantly iterate and look to the next generation that's entering the workforce to understand how do we leverage their strengths and how do we grow their capabilities? Because our construct of work needs to really become more modern and change.
1: I think that's that, that's a fair point. So I think I was I was thinking when when you, when you were talking about this, I was thinking about the existing workforce, right? So so we are we, we are we are hearing a lot about um, the great resignation. We are hearing a lot about people leaving and, and settling in, into this this new and emerging reality. And on the other side, so, uh, I was talking to one of the, one of the technology company, uh, uh, they, they're senior executives, uh, and he was, he was telling me, Vishal, you know what, we, we are, are oversubscribed when it comes to our workforce, but then we have a massive talent pool gap of where we want to get to, and we cannot hire, we cannot find people. Right. And then, and then when you wear a technologist hat, you realize, uh, Hiring for technology is silly. Like it's um, it's it's a it's a skill you can you can attain that skill, right? right? But under but having and having a good understanding of a culture, it's the most expensive thing. So you already have army of your workers who are attuned to this reality of how your business is conducted. Then all the all the social and emotional nuances of running a business. Now you are now out uh, uh, hiring for technologies can you retrain your workforce effectively or, or sort of channelize them so they can instead of realizing hitting the wall and saying okay i cannot fix it maybe so what has been your observation um, in in the, sort of this 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 idea of um, retraining workforce and and utilizing the technology within uh, within your organization instead of sort of going out and and seeding those talents?
0: It's oh gosh, right? So the reskilling and um, retraining—it's so important. Um, th- our world and and the construct, regardless of the industry that you sit in, it is evolving, and it's evolving at a really quick rate. And so, you know, you move from one coding language to another, and and you have to take a decision: Are you going to ask your workers? to learn the new language and are you going to pay for it as an employer or are you going to go source and pay for talent acquisition of somebody who already has that skill and arguably you may pay more for the outside than to actually invest in your own people and in the goodwill that it actually buys you because those folks grew up within your company or have been with your company and so they're part of the culture. i think in in current right where i work today um it's a lighting industry and so folks have grown up within the lighting industry and uh this is the first time i've worked in an organization where we have 30-year veterans right so just recently someone retired and i think they had 36 years and i'm gen x i am general X. I am like wow that's crazy like that just doesn't exist anymore and it is powerful When you think about the opportunities that especially technical skills have had within an organization, but at the same time, the technology and the mechanisms, right, are changing. And so as employers, it's incumbent on us to invest and reinvest in our workforce so that they can have the skills that we are needing. Um, I'm going to say it's lazy if we don't, right? And it's lazy for a number of different reasons. One We know it's coming. We know that we're going to require new skills. So we have to start now. And the laziness comes in. Well, it's going to be a fight to go get more money. It's going to be a fight to have duplicative workers in the the company for a period of time. Um, But again, you've got to go back to the facts and the data to support why you want to reinvest. And so if it reskilling. Um, what is the length of time by which you're going to do that and then how do you take the the workers with the new skill to train the next generation of people who are coming through and so you quickly can hire entry level and allow your existing staff to train them up right technical skills mm-hmm. you can learn technical skills I think the piece that is the nuance right and a little asterisk is does the existing worker want to stay want mm-hmm. to learn? And do they have the learning aptitude to, to learn, right? And so that's a different conversation, but not everyone wants to kind of reinvent themselves and stay. And so I think it's a recognition of, you know, asking people to, to sign up for the journey and to remain and to invest in them so that they can, and then also recognizing that you will have some who simply opt out.
1: I think you are hitting on a very interesting point. So, so a true story. So recently, we were approached by one of the city officials, and he said, "Hey, you know what? I want my city to be the next shining hill uh, when it comes to AI talent pool. We we want to be the best freelancing sort of service providing in AI. Whatever, can you sort of throw AI courses?" And train my my city to be AI. I said that's not how it works. Like, <laughs> not everyone is cut out to be an AI engineer, as you are rightly pointing out. You have to figure out who are. So, do you have a, do you have a mechanism to understand your community? Right? Do you have a mechanism to understand? Maybe you don't have a single guy who's AI, right? Maybe your community is having a cultural totally different construct, which is still relevant, but not. So, you are actually doing a disservice by taking your community away from where it where it belongs. It was pretty exciting to see that how much um, i think you're spot on having that maturity of that not everyone is cut out for everything and it's a business or it's it's it's, it's sort of your responsibility as a leader to understand the the dna of your workforce and a worker to actually rightfully rightfully empowering them is super critical
0: well and i'd also build on that to say so that community what a great opportunity because they should be reaching into the schools right they want to change it at the core The employers in the area should be investing in the schools and inviting the kids to, you know, career days and giving them projects that really expose them to AI types of um, entities. And then in the universities and arguably we need to do a better job at technical skilling. It was really eye opening when we moved from the states overseas to Switzerland. The school system actually separates children at a certain age. And I had never learned of this before. And so based on the, the child's performance in schools, they are either provided into a technical route, which means that they go to work at a certain age and they gain you know, two to five years of work experience before they're eligible to go to a university or immediately after what's equivalent to high school, they go to university. And my husband and I, we were were Americans, we're like, oh, someone's dictating, you know, if you have to go the technical route or you go the university route. But what I realized was very quickly and in the the group in Zurich, um, I didn't know that these individuals were 17, 18, 19 years old because they had skills that much older and more seasoned individuals were expected to have. And it was powerful. So here in the States, we can take a lesson of we have to technically skill and give job opportunities. You know, the co-op programs and apprenticeship programs, they need to come back in, in, in waves in order to provide viable opportunities and to change communities at their core. Unless we go kind of at the root, right, and, and, and reach in to talent that may join us in the future, we're not going to change mindsets and we're not going to create the competencies that we need in the future.
1: I think it's it's a joke. Um, I'm an Indian, so it's a joke in India that you have only two options: either homeless or engineer. Yes. So t- take take your path, right? So we sure. so it's it's. A, I think when when I moved to US, I was fascinated with so much toys, like so much options, so much. It's 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 beautiful. I I totally agree that um, many of the countries we just just that's it. That's the base. That's the hydrogen of of existence. If you're not engineer if you're really really smart maybe doctor maybe scientist but at least start off as an engineer and then you'll figure out you want to be artist sure do your engineering and, and then, then do be the, an artist. and 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 then be an artist wow so I, I i totally hear you so thank you so much uh, thank you so much for for uh, helping understand the, the world of world of um, uh, hr and people space so now let's move to the next segment and and we we, we call it rapid fire and and basically how this works I, I i i say something to you Tell me what comes to your mind. Uh, you are more than welcome to elaborate more on it. Sh- should Should we start? We should start. Let's go. <laughs> awesome. Future of work. Oh, wait. I I really come back with just a word. Yes. No. No. It's just word. Thought. Whatever first thing that comes to your mind. Um. It's here. Technology.
0: We can't live without it, and pretty soon we will all be true technologists. Leadership. Oh so critical and it is a behavior, it's not a role.
1: Remote work.
0: Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> thats that's yeah, it's
0: perfect. Equity. Oh goodness. Um, it doesn't exist today. Um, I would love to live in a world where it can be the starting point for everybody. Diversity. Diversity of thought, color, feeling, expression, sexual orientation, um, gender identity. We will make ourselves so much better when we are inclusive and um, recognize the power in coming together to create something better than we have today,
1: I think so. I want to add something to 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 this. Um, so, as a technologist, like we are running an AI company, so so one of one of our aims is to basically connect people to the like-minded people, right? So, the AI's job is to figure out. So, so we did we did this fun experiment of um, understanding diversity, like what what diversity means to an AI, right? So, it's just a bias, more bias, or more whatever, right? So, just Throw something that's non-biased. So we realize that um, our definition of diversity is very, very limited. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like our upbringing, our geolocation, our there are a lot of aspects that are extremely fascinating for for, for, for the diverse for having a diverse point of view that we're just missing out. But obviously, it's a it's st- still a great start. It's still sort of our our boundaries are still something. But from the A.I. vantage point, we are nowhere where we're just just, just just I thought there.
0: Yeah, well, and I think it's like you said, it's the person who's programming. It's their view. Yeah. Right. We, I was watching a TV show the other day and the boy, there was a child in it and he was describing his mom and he said, well, my mom's wheelchair bound. Right. And those were the words he used. And I thought, oh actually really like that. I need to adopt that language. It's not something I'd heard used to describe, you know, um, a handicap or a disability where someone is immobile and it requires a chair. I thought, oh my gosh, we need so much more learning. Yeah, that's true. That's fair point.
1: Legislature. Oh, say it again. Legislature. Oh,
0: we need less government.
1: <laughs> um, jobs of future.
0: They don't exist right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's funny when you say that. So the jobs of future, it's a little bit going back to, you know, the opportunity my daughter has. She will grow up and probably have 20 different roles that she experiences through her life. And maybe 20 is too too limiting. Maybe it's 40. Um, Just because our construct of how we think about work and what success looks like is so individual. And I think there's no definition for for what success looks like for a person.
1: Fair point. Our future of learning. Mm. It, um, the
0: future of learning it has, it has to be um, changed. And we need to do a better job today of deconstructing uh, how how we are building competencies and the competencies that we believe elementary, middle, high school students and college students require
1: to be successful in our future world. Um, things that keep you up at night.
0: Things that keep me...
1: Up at night. Up at night.
0: Oh. A glass of red wine. No. <laughs> oh, goodness. I... You know, I have aging parents um, and I recognize the stories and the time needed with family is being so important. And I think I'm of the age where there's not enough time, right, I want more time. And I give myself to to my work and I love what I do. And then I come home and if I'm too tired, right I, I take that personally because my daughter wants to spend time with me my husband expects me to spend time with him my dog wants to be walked
1: i, I would like more time yeah yes we all don't we all do yeah so uh, thank you for, for for playing that so now tail end of the, of the conversation so i want to spend few minutes on your personal journey so we ask all of our guests to share some qualities that has really helped them shape what they have become. What are some of the qualities that has really contributed to you, what you are today?
0: it's a good question. Um, I surround myself with people that I admire, that have qualities that I may not have. Um, They have strengths that I don't exhibit. I also surround myself with people who are really different than myself um and whether that's personality or career or athleticism or just just who they are um my husband constantly comments to me he's like you have such an array of friends (laughs) and i think to myself i know isn't it wonderful right i have i had um one friend who in a in a regular world you never would have thought we would have come across each other Um, But we did come across each other and we ended up being baking friends like that was our thing. She was an amazing baker and she taught me so many things. And the relationship just grew through the storytelling of side by side at at a kitchen counter, um, creating things together. I think the world we have so much to learn from each other and we can't take for granted. And I, I actually don't believe in irony, right? So I have a, a great faith and everyone that comes into um, my crossing, it's for a purpose. And I need to recognize in that moment, what am I learning from this this individual or this encounter? Or what am I meant to give to this individual or this encounter? Um, it's a little bit like, and I'll use the analogy of when you're driving in a car and there's someone pulled over on the side of the road, there are those individuals who stop because they're like, Oh my goodness, it has something happened. And then there are those individuals who just drive by and actually never noticed. Mm -hmm. So I want to be the individual who, who may not always stop, but who thinks, Oh my gosh, I hope they're okay. And at least let me call 911 or a tow truck or something so that I can help them. Um, So I don't want to take anything for granted. And Mm -hmm truly the qualities of just being open and being kind and learning from one another um help me right and it's a journey i've not arrived
1: (laughs) thank thank you for for sharing that um we, we we ask all of our guests to share some books that either they're currently reading or some books that 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 they have it has deeply influenced them. So I wonder if you have something to share for our listeners and viewers.
0: So I am a constant um, digest and online reader, right? So so a little joke in my house is my husband read, reads the Wall Street Journal and I read the Times. Uh, but, you know, right, for, for whatever, you know, that's worth. Um, but I also constantly read Business articles, change management articles, marketing articles, because there's so many different points of view. And so do I have a favorite digest? I actually don't. Um, do I have a favorite business book like many of the ones behind you? I actually don't. Um, what I would say is, um, I learn from everything that, that I encounter and, there are so many opportunities, right? It, and even the, the child who gets off the bus, who leans down to pick up the piece of trash, like, oh my gosh, I, I, a business book probably wouldn't tell me that, but just watching that for six seconds reminded me of how important it is to to take care of our world and to, to demonstrate for others um, so that they can observe what we believe good behaviors are. Um, I will say I'm an avid reader of fiction, so the harry potter series my daughter's 11 we're on book i think she's on book six and i'm on book five and so um we read those together i think they're great um and i i read i probably read i don't know two fiction books a month i love to that's my escape right a lot of people do the the television and the netflix and yes i will binge watch just like everybody else in the world but i love to read and the ability to just shut off and to focus Mm. on something that um is you know just enjoyable for a moment i think is really important and my mom oh my gosh she's the the best source of a library ever So at the moment she lives in Texas and every time I see her, she hands me, you know, half of your bookshelf. And I'm like, mom, when did you read all of these? And some of them are fabulous. And some of them I'm like, Oh, what is she thinking? But it is fantastic. And then she and I can dialogue about them and we can, we have our own little book club, right. Um, When we share things back and forth, but it's, I think, you know, there's just so many areas to learn from. um, And I wouldn't necessarily limit folks to the best business books, but I will say if there's one and you probably have it behind you, it's Mike Watkins, the first 90 days. I think it's one of those books that every leader, when they join, like should, should be given that book. It's such
1: a fantastic resource. I I, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's a um, good book. So thank you for sharing that. Um, So last but not the least, if you want something, uh, that our guests, uh, listeners and viewers, uh, to take away from this conversation? Like, what would that be? What would be your parting thought?
0: Oh, goodness. Um, I think any of you could be in my chair. So that is truly what I would say. Don't limit yourself. Um, open eyes and relationships and ask for connections and link in with me. I'd love to chat with you. I will tell you my LinkedIn, LinkedIn response rate. Eventually I get back to people, but it's long. So I apologize in advance. Um, But any of you can be super successful and can be invited to share your experiences. And when you are say yes, right? Don't say no, but share a little bit of yourself with the world because we all have something to learn.
1: Uh, with that, thank you so much, Courtney. Thank you for for being a great people leader. Thank you for, for doing playing your part and helping um, the community be better. And, and couldn't thank you enough for being gracious with your time and, and sit with us and, and helping us understand uh, your point of view of building a, a future uh, forward organization. Thank you.
0: Outstanding. Thank you for the invitation. This was fun.